So how are we doing? Good. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into some stuff. And I don't know what's going to happen yet, because I have a lot of notes, but I want to stop and do little prayer exercises throughout. But we'll see what happens, okay? Father, I thank you for your goodness and love. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the way that you've pursued us. I thank you, God, that we are able to gather as your people. We ask that you'd bless what's going on over there in the youth uh, room tonight. We ask for your spirit to hover. We ask, God, for Jesus to look attractive. We pray that you would rebuke the evil one who tries to blind uh, our minds and hearts, who tries to dull our spiritual senses. We ask that you'd rebuke the evil one, that your spirit would hover and reveal and convict and inspire. We ask, God, for you to give Kate words that are directly from your heart. We ask that you would allow the, uh, the group to hear from Jesus themselves. We ask for the prophetic to flow, that you would walk among them. We ask that you would increase what you're doing, the amount of, of heart space that you are allowed to have your way in. God, we also ask that you would speak to each heart in here. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and understanding, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. God, I ask that you would continue to breathe on us, drawing us deeper every single day. Take ground in our hearts, God. We know that you made us to live an abundant life. And so we ask, God, that whatever could be blocking that, that you would highlight it to us so that we can deal with it. We know that we can't bring new life, but we can make ourselves available for you to bring new life. And so we ask for the wisdom and for the insight to know what's blocking the flow of your life in our heart and through us to others. Pray these things in Jesus' name for Jesus' glory. Amen. So I was asked to speak in Florida at a big old pastor's conference. And they asked me to teach on inner healing prayer and to do inner healing prayer in front of them, a group with them, but also in front of them, a group of strangers. And, uh, and I have tight time limits. So are you having fun yet thinking about me squirming with that assignment? We want you to teach on inner healing prayer. Also, we want you to do it in the morning sessions, first thing, and there's a tight deadline, and after that we break to go do other things. Uh, good luck. We believe in you. It's going to be awesome. So I thought, um, I know kind of how I do that, which is I put myself in harm's way and plead with the Lord to do something. That's, that's really what I do. <laughs> Yeah, that's the strategy, because we have principles. Don't we have principles? Like, we have biblical principles, but, but biblical principles don't work. The Lord works, right? We follow biblical principles, but if Jesus doesn't show up, they don't work. You know, but that's the smartest thing you can do, is know, do what you know the Bible says to do. But even there, if you're in your own strength, you, you know. It's like, okay, that didn't work. That didn't work. So I'm going to teach them biblical principles, namely these ones. Lies enslave us, truth makes us free. Wounds, emotional wounds and otherwise, Jesus wants to heal. Is that an amen? 
Does Jesus want to heal your body? Yes. Does he want to heal your soul? Yes. Salvation is healing. The cross is the healing. Body, soul, spirit. Uh, God's always present and always for his children. Is that true? Yes. So when hard things happen to you, it's kind of important to know where he was and what he was feeling. Because he, when we go on a trial, what happens in our hearts is our hearts begin to put him on trial. And there's an accuser of our souls who's also an accuser of God who wants to put him on trial. So it's really important to know in your hard times of your life, the story you're telling yourself about the meaning of your life, it's real important to know, God, where were you then? Otherwise, it's real hard to trust him. If you think he abandoned you, if you think he denied you, if you think he betrayed you, it's going to be hard to trust him. Jesus says, cast your cares on me. I care for you. Well, he said it through Peter, but still. Is there stuff we're carrying? Are there burdens we're carrying that Jesus doesn't want us to carry, that he wants to take from us, to lift from us, so that our burden is light and our yoke is easy and we have rest for our souls? The exchange. That's what we're doing. And then, then he doesn't just take our burdens. He wants to give something back in place of the burdens. That's the exchange. So these are just tools. Repentance and forgiveness. Oh, my word. It doesn't get more gospel than repent and forgive. And some people think repentance is like, oh, man, that's me working hard and... You know, that's, that's groveling and weeping. It's like, no, repentance means I get to stop thinking the way that isn't working. And I get to start thinking a way that's going to work for me. I get to stop believing a bunch of stuff that's leading to horrible fruit. And I get to start believing stuff that's going to bring great fruit. I get to stop worshiping and serving dead idols that can't deliver and do enslave. And I get to now worship and serve the living God who saves, heals, delivers, frees, speaks, breathes, brings new life. Repent and forgive. We enter into God's forgiveness of our sins, but we also become the expression of that forgiveness. In fact, the hurts that happen to us that we hold on to, that we don't forgive, man, you know what? Here's what I know. Almost every person who's demonized has unforgiveness issues. Unforgiveness gives legal access to demonic stuff in our hearts and lives. Mm -hmm. Jesus said that in his parable of the unforgiving servant when he said, well, when the king in the parable said, hand him over to the, uh, to the jailers, something like that, to the jailers to be tortured. Who are the jailers, right? It's, inter it's an interesting story because some people go, oh yeah, that's talking about later in hell. And I'm like, no, that's talking about the present state of what's happening in the spiritual realm. When we step out from the shadow of the cross, we step into a legalism kind of a, a mindset. You're either under the shadow of the cross and you're flowing in a state of grace and forgiveness where you are also extending forgiveness and receiving forgiveness, or you step out of the shadow of the cross and you're standing on your own merits under like a strict law of just gravity. Not grace, but gravity. I'm doing the teaching in advance. And then the final thing is truth makes free. If lies enslave, truth makes free. But this is an order of how I attack the issues when I pray with people. There's a specific order that I attack the issues. Shall we get into it? Preliminary questions. <clears throat> the first question, when you want to help somebody, the first question is, do they want help? Or do they want pity? So the first question, the preliminary question, because if all you want is pity, you're not getting free today. Right? You might get physically healed today, 
But God's given keys for each person's soul to that person. Like, you know what I mean? When I say you might get forgiven today, I'm sorry, you might get physically healed today. Other people's faith can heal you. I'm not sure other people's faith can make you forgive someone. I'm not sure. I'm not saying God can't change your heart on the basis of other people's faith. He can draw you and pull you. But he really respects your authority over your own heart. He wants love to be freely given. So question one, before you really get people, if you want to really get people free by Holy Spirit ministry is, do they really believe they can be free today? And this is, the, is this what they really want? Because not everyone who says, I would like to have a meeting with you, wants to get free. A lot of people just want time and attention. The, the, they're not quite able to receive God's love, but they're able to receive your attention as a way of filling some needs they have. There's a difference. So the first question is, are you ready to be free today? And if they're not ready, the way they'll tell you that is they'll start to talk in a loop about all the reasons they can't get free and all the people who wronged them and why they're stuck and why nothing works and no counselor has worked and no medicine has worked and no pastor has worked and no conference has worked. And it just, they'll, if, if they're not ready to get free, they'll start to tell you the reasons that justify their trauma, justify their stuckness. Because what they want is to feel justified in their stuckness. If they want to get free, they'll say yes. And they might even be real nervous. They might even be real scared, like a person who's about ready to jump off of a high dive, like into a pool. Am I making sense yet? So Jesus, when he, when he encounters somebody, he says to the, to the blind man, what do you guys want? What are you talking about, Jesus? We're blind. What do you want? Or he asks the paralytic, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? What, what kind of question is that, Jesus? I'll tell you what kind of question it is. A good one. I'm reading Acts over and over right now. And there's a scene where it says, um, Paul looked at the man steadily and saw that he had faith to be healed. I love that. The man had faith to be healed. Not only was he willing to be healed, he said, it's gonna, it can happen. It can actually happen. Now, I know we don't like to talk about this. We don't like to talk about faith affecting outcomes. But Jesus talked about it consistently. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go and sin no more. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Isn't that interesting? But we don't like that because we don't like that level of responsibility, I think. And we don't want to put guilt on people. Now, again, I want us, when we pray for people, to have faith for God to be able to do it. But I want us not to inoculate them. What happens when you try to pray for somebody who's not ready to be free is you end up on that list of preachers and Christians who tried to help me and couldn't. And it becomes one more reason for them to not believe it's possible. It would be better to say, listen, I have faith for you to be made whole, but until you're ready, it's probably not going to work. So here's what I'm willing to do today. 
You could be free today, but here's what it seems to me we could do today. I can listen and talk to you as a friend because you're worth my time and you're not a waste of my time. And I have faith for you to be healed and I have faith for you to be changed. I think this thing you're still grieving, you can experience freedom from it. But you got to be ready. But I'm willing to give you an hour because you're worth it to me. I recently did that with somebody. They were unwilling. They, they would say unable. I would say unwilling to openly confess the thing that had traumatized them. And I know that their freedom's waiting on that. Now, I don't know. They might have gone home saying, no hope for me. Even Tim couldn't help me. That's true. Even Jesus couldn't help him until he's ready. Is that, is that, you have space for that in your theology? That's the, that's the, that's the preliminary question. It's really interesting. I, I, there was a guy, he rebuked me for my language. He said, you are a very gifted man and you're a very godly man and you could influence for Jesus all kinds of people but not till you clean up your mouth. And I, and I was like, ah, oh, I totally agree with you. But I've been praying to change since I was, and I, and I shut myself off. I said, stop that. <laughs> I, and, I, and I said, oh my word, it's unbelief. I said it out loud as soon as I realized it. I said, it's unbelief. I've genuinely believed I've tried and it didn't work so I can't change. And right then and there, I got an upgrade. Now I have, and then you ask Jesus for the strategies. Okay, Jesus, I can change. Help me. How? And this is what he said to me. Every time you say language or a phrase that, I, that you feel in your spirit is not, is not right and, and, and you're above it and you shouldn't have said it, I want you to immediately apologize to me out loud and then ask me for, for the better words you could have said and should have said. Fix it, fix it immediately. Apologize, fix it. So I was talking with somebody in the back and I called something stupid bullcrap just on Sunday. And I, I stopped and I said, I'm sorry, Lord, give me better words. And I said, okay, low quality stuff. Changed it or whatever, whatever it was that I changed it to. But faith that I can change, guess what happened then? I changed once I had faith that I could change, now I'm willing to, 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 to enter the training and let the Holy Spirit shape me. Are you, that's the preliminary question, are you ready to be free today? Now, guys, again, what did I say about principles? What did I say at the beginning? Do principles work? No, God works. So the Holy Spirit can violate the principle of are you ready to be free today? He can, he can, God can violate it. He can say, today's your day, and yank you out of the wheelchair before you have time to have unbelief. He, he does it. He can do it. I just said you got to have faith to be healed, right? No, I didn't. I said faith is important. God can yank you out of anything with, for, in spite of your unbelief. And for many of us, that would be our testimony. I didn't have faith. Jesus came after me and grabbed hold of me when I didn't have any faith in him. And then he gave me faith in him. Doesn't the Bible say faith is a gift? So here's some principles. God violates them. In general, they're true, but God's not in a box. He's not in a box. 
There's times when I can pray for you and I have no faith that God's going to heal you and he can heal you anyway. Because he loves people and he honors his gospel. Okay, so let's, let's, let's ask the Lord this question just, just right away. How about we ask this question? Lord, are there any areas where you have faith for me to be free and I don't? If you don't hear anything, you might still have an intuition. Trust that intuition. Now just pray this very biblical prayer. Help my unbelief. Lord, help my unbelief. If faith is a gift, give it to me. Father, give me faith to be free in that area that you know I can be free. Okay. We're about to get to the lie, but there's fundamental convictions about all the gospel ministry I do. Somebody would say, oh, I don't believe in inner healing prayer. And I'd be like, I believe in the gospel is what I believe in. And I believe God talks. And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that every single child of God, it is the birthright of every single child of God to walk with the good shepherd, hear his voice, and live the abundant life. That, that's, that's our birthright, Right? So you could say, well, I don't believe in inner healing prayer. And I'd be like, that's fine. I think what I'm talking about is Christianity. It happens to be couched in inner healing context. I don't care what you label it. You know what I mean? But I have this conviction that if you listen to Jesus, you get set free. If you listen to the other ones, you don't. There's, there's other voices and they don't help. They're not good. So truth makes free, lies enslave, and God wants to talk to us, so we should be listening. Those are my fu- fundamental convictions. So I had somebody tell me, like, that's demonic, that's evil, I don't believe in that. And I'm like, well, I don't know if you're going to be okay at our church, because I have this fundamental conviction that truth makes free, lies enslave, God wants to talk to us, therefore we should be listening. We should be listening. And then I got friends that say, God doesn't talk today. He already gave us a Bible. And if he were talking today, then you would be saying that, that you should write what he, you hear in the Bible. You should add it to the Bible. And I go, well, um, I don't mean that we need to be adding to the Bible. But I do mean that the Holy Spirit speaks today to line my beliefs up with the Bible. That's what I mean. He's not replacing the Bible. He's confirming the Bible. In my life. Another thing, just simple things. If, if I'm, because I've been told I, I'm full of demons and that I'm listening to demons, just, I'm being honest, I have, I've been told these things. 
Uh, I've, I've been called worse. The one, one person said, you're an, I was an antichrist. And I thought that was the best one ever. <laughs> it was like persecution unlock, like level, like video game, like I leveled up. It was amazing. It was great. Uh, here's some, here's just, just think with me. John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit comes to lead us into all truth, correct? Yes. To lead us into all truth. Yes. Now, here's the question. Do you trust the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth more than the enemy of your soul to deceive you? I'm telling you, there's, I, I believe a lot, of, a lot of believers are more scared of being deceived. They have more trust in the evil one's ability to deceive them than they do in the Holy Spirit's ability to lead them into the truth. So consequently, they shut down their subjective ear. But what do you think happens when you stop listening to the voice of the Lord? You think you're going to be less deceived or more? So let's just work this out. You're so afraid of the devil deceiving you that you shut off your spiritual ears to the subjective, thinking that you're going to be deceived, so you close your ears to the Holy Spirit, and in the end, you're far more, willing, more, more likely to be deceived. So I would say faith in the Holy Spirit's ability to speak louder than the evil one, clearer than the evil one, will actually keep you from deception. See how it gets all twisted up? It gets all twisted up. And, and fear... Fear of the dark instead of faith in the light. Fear of the dark instead of faith in the light. The Father, it says, if you ask the Father, you, hey, by the way, welcome. The Father, just like all earthly parents, it says, your earthly parents aren't, aren't going to, if you ask for good gifts, they're not going to give you, if you ask for bread, they're not going to give you a snake. If you ask for a fish, they're not going to give you a stone. How much more, if you, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, will the Father, how much more, if you, will, if, you, if the children cry out day and night, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit? I messed that verse all up, but you know it. It's Luke 11. So, so in other words, if we're in here in sincere faith saying, we want to know you. God, we want to know you. Speak to us. Fill us with your spirit. If when you're doing that with a sincere heart, instead you get demons... Guys, we should, we should really rethink whether Christianity works. Because I prayed that, and then I was told I have demons now. But where, what was the fruit? I fell more in love with Jesus. I fell more in love with people. I fell out of love with sin. I had more zeal. I had more faith. I had more hunger for Scripture. I could worship for hours and hours and hours. And when I, when I prayed the Spirit, I felt the Spirit in a deeper way. I knew God's love for me in a keener, sharper, sweeter way than ever before. You tell me that's the devil. Yeah, because you shook and yelled. So I'm, I'm pointing this out just to say, like, guys, we, God wants us to encounter him. God wants us to experience him. And like helping someone walk through stuff, the point of it is to connect them more to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The point is actually to connect them so much to God that they don't need you as much anymore. The, and the point is not, oh, my word, we're going to sit in a chair. Someone's going to do inner healing prayer, and that's going to fix us, and we won't struggle anymore. No, that's stupid. That's stupid. That's not how it works. 
But here's how it will work. God will talk. God will lift burdens. God will forgive. God will highlight things for us to partner with. And then we have a responsibility to cooperate with what he reveals. And then from then on, we are equipped more fully to fight the good fight of faith. Are you with me? So, so it's everything we were talking about uh, at the prayer luncheon where uh, we were trying to answer the question, why does prayer ministry matter? And I said, Kate, do you remember that teaching I did on inner healing prayer? And she said, nope. And I said, exactly. But that same night, I said, who wants to volunteer to do it? And you got in the chair. Do you remember what you experienced? Oh, yeah. We owe people an encounter with the living Jesus. <coughs> Not just words about Jesus. We owe people an encounter with the living Jesus. This is more important than prophecy even. If I can connect you to you hearing him, it's more powerful than if I hear him and speak for him. Yeah. And I'm the guy who loves, I love prophecy. It's quicker. When I'm in a hurry, I flip out of inner healing prayer mode and I get it done in prophecy. When I get stuck, it's very tempting to just abandon the inner healing prayer ship. You know, if they seem stuck, it's just real tempting to jump into a little ski-doo and go, you know? That's what it feels like. Prophecy feels like a ski-doo, you know? Inner healing prayer feels like you're throwing them in the river and saying, I hope they learn, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you can do it! And they go, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> you should ask God this question that you're terrified of asking. Okay, I have more faith in the Holy Spirit's ability to reveal truth than in the enemy's power to deceive. Do you agree with that? Yes. All right, let's tell him that. Just take a moment and pray something to that effect. I mean, just recently, oh, by the way, amen. Just recently I had somebody tell me essentially that they don't want to go to any church because they believe that all the modern churches are deceived and have false doctrine because we're in the end times, all the churches are deceived and they're afraid of being deceived. And I said, well, you're right that we ought to be careful. Jesus said, beware, false prophets. And false messiahs. I said, but, but I just believe John 10, 5 so strongly that I know the good shepherd's voice, so I'll never follow another. I get very happy. It makes me very happy. And I've had people say, I don't understand why you're not afraid of, of being wrong. And I'm like, I've been wrong a lot, but it's never separated me from God. I've been wrong so much. And he's been with me the whole time. Like I've been doctrinally wrong, morally wrong, priorities have been wrong, and he's walked with me the whole way. You know? It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a silly quote, but God can draw straight lines with a crooked stick. It's like, it's okay. We're going to be all right. I believe in a big God and a little devil. A big God and a little devil. 
and I'm just going to say it again, even though I said it before, those who shut their spiritual ears out of fear of deception are actually shutting their ears to the Lord, thus opening themselves to greater deception. Okay, the lie. <clears throat> this is typically where I start with people. The lie I'm believing. So you say something like, Holy Spirit, is there any lie that I believe about the Father that you want to address today? That kind of question. Oh, some of you are already praying it. It's exciting. Go ahead. Holy Spirit, is there any lie that I'm believing about the Father that you wish to address? And then if you get something, you say, Holy Spirit, when did I first start believing that? And often what will happen is you'll go to a memory. And in that memory is usually something painful. And someone painful often. And I call that the wound. Usually the lies we believe have entered us like arrows through the wound. And sometimes we experience a lot of God's comfort in the area of our wounds. And because and, God's so good. Yes. He's so good. But some of us imagine that we're all better now after we experience God's comfort in the area of our wound. But the comfort doesn't heal the wound. It soothes the wound, but we still need the arrow removed. We need the lie removed. So what we do, okay, if you have the lie and if you have the when did I, when did that, when did I first start believing that? If you have that memory, go back there. It's usually a physical space. Go back to that physical space and let's ask the question, where were you, God? Where were you, God? You might see something. You might simply know something. You might have an intuition about it. You might say, well, I don't see him in the, in the memory, but I can sense where he was. And then I have another question for you. God, what was in your heart for me then? What was in your heart for me then? What was in your heart for me then?
What did you want to say to me then? What did you want to say to me? Okay. Does anybody want to share, or is anybody willing to share what, what memory they went back to? It's okay if the answer is no. Sometimes when I say, go back to that memory, God, where were you? I say, sometimes I say, you might see Jesus enter the scene. And if he does, let it play like a video. He might do something. He might say something. And usually, I watch their eyes. And usually, if I watch their eyes, they start to flicker. Something's happening. Very subtle. Maybe one tear. And I sit and I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Or I pray quietly in tongues. And it takes a lot of patience. And some people are so scared they're not going to hear. They're like, oh no, I'm a dud. And I'm wasting Pastor Tim's time. And they think that in their brain. I'm wasting his time. And I'm like, you are not a waste of my time. You are worth. You are, you are my only agenda. And you are so worth my time. So I'm patiently just praying. And then if nothing happens, guys, if they, don't he if they don't see anything happen or hear anything happen, then I go, no problem. What do you just intuit? What do you just sense? What do you just know about where he was? And, th and then suddenly they go, he was over there. What was in his heart towards you? I don't know. Well, ask him. Okay. What was in your heart toward me? Same routine. They might hear him speak. You might hear him speak clear as a bell because you don't need me to do this. You can do this by yourself at home, in your car, in the shower, while you're working. The question is, are you willing to let him take you to the dark places? You really got to trust Jesus to be willing to go into those pain points in your soul. And by the way, the point of this is not to spend the next 30 or 40 years looking backwards. Not at all. The point is to cut anchors so you can move forward. So we're not bound by the past. But it's amazing how easily people who think they don't hear God actually hear God. What do you just know is in his heart? Oh, man, he loves me so much. He's weeping with me. He wants to hold me in his arms. He's just crying with me over and over. Huh. Okay, so now what have we done? We've experienced comfort and some truth about who God is. What about this one? The exchange. I'll say things like this to people. If you could picture your burden, what would it look like? It's just a creative exercise, really. There's no wrong answer, is there? I mean, it's your pain, and you're the one picturing how it might look. Or maybe I'll say something like, 
What do you imagine your heart looks like right now as you're feeling this hurt? And they'll say, oh, it's broken in pieces or, oh, it's shot through with daggers. I got daggers stabbed out of my back. Whoa, what's the word on them? Oh, they have words like betrayal, abandonment. And I go, hmm, invite Jesus in. What does he want to do with that, with that picture of your pain? And they go, oh, my goodness. He's waiting for me to invite him to pull out those daggers. Oh, that's interesting. Why would he wait? Because he wants you involved? I don't know why, but he loves when you're involved. He usually won't come in and just take your burdens against your will. He wants you to freely give them. You can say, Jesus, please take this from me. Take a moment, do it, yeah. So I'll tell you one that happened to me once. Picture your burdens. And I said, oh, dear. Yeah, it's like a backpack filled with bricks. And they were like, what are the bricks? I said, hmm. The Lord says they're everyone's expectations. Hmm. Can you give those to Jesus? I said, I'm trying. I just can't seem to get get the backpack off. Why not? I guess I feel like if I don't walk around with a certain level of guilt for how I'm failing my friends, that it's a sign that I really don't care about them. Oh, so another lie. Love means feeling bad about how the way all the ways that you are inadequate. That was a lie. I couldn't get that backpack off. I had to physically pretend I was taking a backpack off and set it down and just back away from it. The Lord took it. Then comes the exchange. Lord, now that I've given you this, and by the way, this could be a sin issue. Right now we're talking about a burden, but this could be a sin issue. Maybe the lie had to do with a sin you committed. And ever since you committed the sin, you've believed something about yourself that's limited you. And maybe the thing about where was God was he was still loving you even at your lowest point. And maybe the thing you're now giving to him is the actual weight of shame and guilt for what you did. Might not be always what's done to you. Sometimes it's what you did. But the exchange is, okay, Jesus, now that I've given this burden to you, what do you want to give me in exchange? By the way, this works best with total transparency, with somebody saying out loud what's really going on. Once somebody goes serious, when they get soul honest, when they speak out of their deep voice, like you know what people's head voice is? Hey, how you doing there, Rusty? What's the weather been doing on the house thing? Yeah, you got the the Super Bowl coming up. That's up here. That's high. That's that's up here. But But when Rusty goes down in here, and he says, I called you because I'm, you matter to me. And I'm really trying to pay close attention to the people in my life that really make life worth living. In the limited time I got, I want to love the people around me. Now he's talking down here. 
Then he can go even deeper and he can say something like, Linda, I really just don't know if you understand how deep my love is for you. It's deeper, right? It's a deeper voice. When we do these things, it works best when somebody is able to go to the deepest place of their soul and make it out loud in front of the humans who are the body of Jesus in that moment. You'll sense the presence of God increase. Who's done one of these sessions with me in this room? A few, some of you have, right? Yeah. Have you, did you sense the presence of God get thick when we went to the deep, the deep part? And if you're praying for others, it's like, dude, if you're, the, if you're a Holy Spirit junkie like I am, you can get addicted to doing this. There's a certain kind of prayer that draws the Lord. There's a certain kind of singing. There's a certain kind of fellowship. There's a certain kind of prophetic ministry. Certain kind of tongues. There's a certain kind of confession. And just all of a sudden, the Lord himself is present in a special way. Okay. What do you want to give me in exchange? Oh, man. Here's what he gave me with the backpack thing. Another backpack identical to the one that I just took off. So I backed away from it. I said, no, never again. Because I felt the burden go. Because he had to redefine what love was for me. He had just finished redefining what love was. And I, and I said, what do you want to give me in exchange? Another backpack? Are you crazy? It must be a test. This must be a test. I don't think so. He said, no, take it, put it on. Fine. So I take it and I put it on. Pick it. As soon as I pick it up, I realize it's empty. It feels empty. I put on the backpack. What's in it? What's in it, Lord? I open it up. A sandwich. He said, that's all you need to minister to everyone. Just lunch. All you need is your lunch. Just share your lunch and you'll never run out. Instantly, he triggered loaves and fishes. You don't have to be anything for them. You don't have to be enough for them. Be my boy. I'm going to pack you a lunch every day. It's just what I have to say to you personally. It's going to be for you, only you. Only you. It's just you and me. And then you just give it away to them. And it'll always be more than enough. Now we're ready to repent and forgive. Remember when you went back to this memory? There might have been somebody there who hurt you real bad. Or it might have been you. Well, now let's repent and forgive. We've experienced comfort and love and Holy Spirit has come in and cleaned out the wound. He's changed our perspective. He's come in and we've said, oh my word, he's so good. I trust him. I'm willing to repent and forgive. Now, especially now that I see how good he is. And I think that's so important that we don't just lay repentance and forgiveness on people like, like some sort of angry, like some sort of angry, selfish God who loves himself is demanding it. When we experience his goodness and his heart, we trust him and we go, uh, yeah, I'm going to repent. Are you nuts? And in this repentance, man, if we're talking about sexual sin, usually there are soul ties where we're still but we're still, we actually 
connected with them in a way that needs to be severed. So in that repentance, we'll break soul ties. We'll say things like, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I break the bonds that I wrongly made with so-and-so. I break them in Jesus' name. I take back, I call back what was taken. Let's say it was done to you against your will and it was sexual. Then you call it back. You call it back. And usually a person in that situation is too emotional and I'll have them repeat after me because they aren't, they aren't going to necessarily have the words. So I have words for them and I say, repeat after me. I call back what was taken. I call back what was taken. I call back my femininity. I call back my masculinity. I call back my sexual power. I call back my romance. I call it back in Jesus' name. Return to me now. And may the blood of Jesus be a wall of separation between me and them. And I don't know why, but sometimes I clap or hit something hard. I don't know why. I get excited on that point. And I send back what I receive from them. I send it back to them in Jesus' name. It's not mine, it's theirs. And now I have it to freely give to the one God really intends. That's a form of repentance. Or you literally forgive as though the person who hurt you was in the room. And some people go, oh my word, how do I do that? And I go, well, you can't forgive what you don't condemn. A lot of people mistake excusing something for forgiving something. Do you know what I mean? Like I had a friend, her husband would run around with, on her on the weekends. He'd go to bars and get with other girls. And she said, well, I just forgive him for that. And I said, you don't love yourself. If you did, you'd kick him out. Because to tolerate that is to promote more of that. And that shows me you don't love him. If you're partnering with his sin, instead of correcting and rebuking and not tolerating it, then you don't love him. You need him. This isn't forgiveness. This is codependence. Biblical forgiveness condemns the wrong and then hands the, the person over to God to be the judge. Hands the pain over to God. Hands the person over to God to be the judge. And gives up their right to punish or withhold love. So I will often say, somebody might say, okay, Tim, I can't forgive. It hurts too bad. I can't forgive. And I say, no problem. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat after me. Instead of I, for, instead of, I forgive you for, like they're right in the room with you. Oh, by the way, I did this with people who were in the room with me. A husband and a wife. And I said, Oh, my word, I've never done this before where you're literally in the room. This could get scary because you know how we do forgiveness prayers in my sessions? If you're not being fully emotionally honest, we didn't get there yet. So I say, it was wrong when you. Instead of saying, I forgive you for, I want you to say, it was wrong when you. And I go, dig, dig, dig. Is there more? It was wrong when you belittled me in front of my friends. It was wrong when you called me a no good whatever. It was wrong when you said I was just, gonna, just like my dad. It was wrong when you said I'd never change. It was wrong when you said that the marrying me was the biggest mistake you ever made, blah, 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 blah. 
And I say, what else? It was wrong when you did that. What else? It was wrong when you such and such. And sometimes they run out of steam and you know there's more. So you have to give them words because you know them or at least you have an intuition about it. And you say, say this, it was wrong when you, and they'll go, yes. And there's more. We're trying to dig all that out. We're getting all the cancer out. That's what we're doing. We're digging all the cancer out. It was wrong when you, is there more? And finally they'll say, I think that's it. I think that's it. And then you say, now take them to Jesus because they're too heavy for you to carry. They're light for him. But if you try to carry them, it'll crush you. Can you do it? And I say, tell me when you've done it. Tell me when, you, when you've taken them to Jesus and left them at his feet. Tell me when they're there. They usually take a minute. Are some of you still doing this in, my, in your mind while I'm, while I'm talking? Then what? Well, now say it. Jesus, I hand over my right to punish. I hand it over to you. You alone. You alone are the judge of all the earth. I hand over my right to punish. I give up my right to punish in Jesus' name. And I give up my right to withhold love from them. And right away I can hear some people going, No! And I go, look, I ain't telling you you have to have them over for dinner every week. I'm telling you if they get a flat tire, you'd be willing to go help them. Difference. In fact, they might not, they might, should not be coming over for dinner every week and lying to you about who you are and mistreating you. They might need a boundary in your life to where they are out there in the outer circle of people who don't get to shape and form your identity. It's okay to have an inner circle of people that you trust to help you run well and to not have everyone in the world be in that inner circle. Right? Okay. We love everyone. That doesn't mean that everyone is on the inner circle. And then there's a real inner circle with only Jesus. Not even my, not even my wife's supposed to be in there. Otherwise, I can't love her right because she's my God. Okay? And then once we've done the lie, going to the wound, and where was God, and, and comfort, and the exchange, and the repenting. And by the way, part of the repenting is receiving God's forgiveness. And then the forgiving, and then at the end of the forgiving, I'm often saying, God, now that I've released this situation to you and taken my hands off of it, what are you going to do now that it's in your hands and sometimes he'll give you a vision of stuff you were blocking with your unforgiveness. And that's exciting. And faith in, I, I have so much faith in that one. Now that I've taken my hands off the situation, what are you going to do? Forgiving is like powerful spiritual warfare. Forgiving your enemies releases the Lord to bring stuff in their life. One time, one time the Lord told me, the way you're behaving is blocking the Holy Spirit from working in your wife because you're trying to do my job. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. She can do no wrong. Now she won't. She never does. She don't know what goes on in here. She just gives me the sermon notes. She doesn't listen to mine. Yep, breaking soul ties, the calling back, the sending back. Oh man, one, one of the, some of these are get, get hilarious. Some of these are hilarious. Like some, uh, some a young lady was uh, 
this dude was aggressively propositioning her for sexual stuff, and she shut him down, and it ticked him off. So he switched from, oh, baby, you're so hot, to you're a worthless piece of beep. You know what I mean? Ticked him off, hurt his feelings, made him feel rejected, so he just took it out on her. And so we were there sending back the lies, and I was like, do we send back the, the bull crap? He's, she's a worthless piece of blank. Look, she's right out there. She heard everything I said. She's in the office. She heard it all. She's sneaking around, spying on me. Oh, I spat. And I was, I'm sitting there in the chair, and I'm thinking, because it's all like 40 people in the room, and then me in, this, in, in you know, the front. We're in the front. And I'm thinking, can I, how do we send back the lie? Because word curses. One, sometimes things that come up is word curses, where people label you stuff, and it's stuck to you, even though you, you said, I don't believe that. I'm the blessed and chosen, and I'm the, the head and not the tail and all that. But it's still stuck on there, even though you're quoting all these scriptures. It's still stuck there, and you're like, oh, we should get rid of that. Right? So I go, we send back that curse in Jesus' name, and we send it back with a blessing. So, Lord, we send back the piece of, wait a minute. And then I said, I'm thinking a minute, and then I said, well, if you can mail cookies, you can mail feces. And apparently they had a, they had a whiteboard in the basement, and it was full of Tim, weird Tim quotes like that, that stuff that I don't remember saying. <laughs> Years later, one of this young lady walked up to me. She goes, you remember me? I said, I kind of do remember you. What was your name again? And she said, if you can mail feces, you can mail, or if you can mail cookies, you can mail feces. I screwed that up. <laughs> but yeah, breaking off word curses. It's, it, it's important. Did you know our words have power? Yeah. And, did you, and if we really knew it, we'd speak differently to each other, wouldn't we? When you go through this stuff and you start to become sensitized to how stuff affects people, then you go, oh, my word, how have I been used for evil in people's life on accident? My wife says to me, well, you know, when you get really, really, really mad, you don't even remember later the things you say, the mean, evil things that come out of your mouth, Tim. And I go, that's terrifying. That's, that's no good. Tell me what I said so I can fix it, you know? Okay. Yeah, don't say it. But since I did, how can I fix it? Uh, let's see, what do we got? Da, 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 da. The truth. The truth. See, now we're fine. Some people go, screw that. I'm just going to skip all the steps and go right to the truth. And I go, well, you can. You can. But what this is, is it's making room for the truth. You know what Jesus said? You have no room in, in, in your heart for my word. That's why you don't believe me. You don't have room in your heart. Your heart's occupied with all this other stuff, all these other attitudes, all these other beliefs, all these other operating systems. You have no space. So what this is is just making room for the truth. So we go, then we go right back to the beginning. I'm taking notes while they're talking, right? You're taking notes while they're talking. And now at the end, you've got a couple lies on the page. Some they said, some that you could tell in the rest of what they said need to be dealt with. And then we go, okay, if the lie was, like, what was somebody's lie about the father? Anyone? The father is distant and not involved. So at the very end of your session, I would say, Father, if the lie is that you're distant and uninvolved, show me the truth. Should I look away? Would that make you more comfortable? You have an answer? Yeah. The father said he's close to your heart. Close to your... See, that's fascinating. 
that answers both of those things, doesn't it? The truth Excuse me. Was that me? <laughs> Thank you. No high fives? <laughs> okay. You can and should take notes if you do these kind of sessions with people. <clears throat> but at the end of a session, please don't hand the person a list of lies and wounds. Do you know what I mean? You don't want to hand them. I, try, I made that mistake at first. But by the way, if... Like one of these sessions with people, if they were a writer, do you know the story they should be writing? The story of what they're praying about right here is like the much more interesting than a fictional story they could write. Because this is people's important, like, again, the movies we like, they, they, they're in the deep voice. Which is why we say, oh, that movie was stupid. All I had was a bunch of action scenes and there was no character development. What do you mean character development? I mean this stuff. Because you know what? When you're with people and you're praying through the deep stuff, you relate, you resonate, you cry with them, you feel with them. And guess what else happens? They hear the Father speak and you know what happens to your faith? You get in on the exchange. I cry with people. The first, the first year I did these sessions with the students, I cried so hard my body hurt. My throat hurt, my stomach hurt, my muscles hurt, my face hurt. Because I had so much stuff that their pain was resonating with. You know what I mean by resonating? Like if you sing at the right frequency, you can break a wine glass. Because what it's, you're singing at the exact same frequency that resonates its natural resonance, and it can shatter. And their pain was doing that to my pain. The second year wasn't quite as bad. The third year was a little less so. This most recent year, I cried less than any other year, but I still cried, <laughs> you know? But it's so interesting how he who encourages someone else will himself be encouraged. The one who refreshes the soul of others will themselves be refreshed. And I would go, the wounded healers get healed. And that's what we all are, friends. I wish we weren't, but we can always get closer to Jesus. I don't care how close to Jesus you think you are, they're still closer. I don't care how whole you think you are. There's probably another layer of the onion. He loves you more than you know. You're more, you're more powerful than you think. You're more well positioned for his will than you could even imagine. And don't ever think to yourself, I wish I was born at a different time or a different person or a different race or a different gender. There was one young lady who hated herself because she was black. Now, I, didn't, I, that, I, I had not encountered that before. And I just kept hearing over and over, black is beautiful, proud to be black. And I, and I, so over and over, I just kept hearing the Holy Spirit repeat it. Proud, black is beautiful, proud to be black. But she has grown up in a culture where the demons have seeded lies into culture that even though her parents don't believe that, her friends don't believe that, she internalized it. And this, this was a spirit-filled sweetheart of an amazing woman of God who could minister to everyone else in the room but had a hard time accepting the value of who she is and who God made her. That was painful because I never did get her to say it with me. Proud, black is beautiful, proud to be black. But you know what? I've prayed for her since then. And I don't know. Perhaps she's way past free on that now because God didn't stop moving that day, right? Right? 
Yeah, and, and she's on a journey. And, and sometimes you got to hear something a lot of times before you're willing to take it in. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then here's another thing. Um, the version of this that I was taught told me, it was Sozo. They told me that I'm not allowed, and I don't practice Sozo, by the way. I don't follow the rules. So I don't call this Sozo because I don't follow. This is like a combination of stuff I learned from watching TV, stuff I learned from praying, stuff I learned from Sozo, stuff I learned from Brad Jersak, and just, I don't know, stuff I learned from reading my Bible and being in a church. So I don't even know what this is, other than I just call it gospel ministry. That's all I know to call it, because it's the Jesus that I've come to love, right? Um, so I was told you're not allowed to prophesy, but I do it. But what I do is I try to wait till the end because it would be so much better if they hear it from God themselves. But sometimes what's crazy is you'll hear from God and he'll say almost word for word the thing that you were going to say. And now when you give the word, it's a confirmation and it makes them have even more faith in their ability to hear the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? So, concluding thoughts. This is not a list of rules. The Holy Spirit can skip steps. He can go straight from the lie to the truth. He can bypass the lie and just lay a truth on you without even telling you the lie. You don't have to go through any of this stuff. You don't. Jesus can just walk straight in and speak a truth so deep to your heart that a lie comes falling off without you going through any of the steps. Like in the basement, 2 a.m., I'm on my face, brand new believer, seeking God. He walks in. He walks in so thick that I'm terrified to open my eyes for fear that he will physically be there and then I'll just vaporize or something. I don't know what I was afraid of, but I was terrified, too afraid to open my eyes. And then he spoke. I'm telling you it was near audible or audible. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I had no idea that I was struggling with this fear of keeping him loving me by performing. But when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, it broke. He didn't say you have a wound, you didn't have a thing. He didn't label me something negative. He just <laughs> affirmed what he, who he is in my life. And that thing just, <laughs> then I'm reading in my Bible. Guess what? That's all over the place. It's in Joshua. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's in the Psalms, quoting Joshua. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's in the book of Hebrews, quoting the Psalms, quoting Joshua. <laughs> God has promised he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And I'm like, oh my word, it's in the book. Because I didn't know it was in the book. All I knew was Jesus said it to me at 2 a.m. in the basement with my butt in the air and my head on the ground. As one should pray. Yeah. Occasionally, if you don't get rug burns on your body, preferably on your head, your bald, shiny head, you're not praying hard enough. That's a joke. <laughs> so what do we live? Do we live truth first or feeling first? Right. So is the point of this to get people to be all feeling their problems and pains and lies and oh my word? No. No. In fact, I expect them to still be attacked at the point that these issues confronted. I expect they're going to... The, the enemy and their wounds are still going to come back and say, ah, you didn't get free. Ha, ha, ha. You're still tempted with insecurity on this thing. Ha, ha. You're still distrustful of this thing. Oh, ha, ha. Exactly. Exactly. You don't receive it. You walk in the truth Jesus said to you in the session. You walk in the truth. You say, nope, nope, I'm never going back. This is who I am now. Right? Because, again, we're not the guy who's trying to quit smoking. We're just not a smoker anymore. So when you offer me a cigarette, I don't say, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. 
So when you offer me low self-worth and shame and guilt and insecurity and unbelief, I say, no thanks, I'm a believer. No thanks, I'm a, ti- I'm a child of God. No thanks, I'm an overcomer. No thanks, I'm redeemed. No thanks, I'm anointed by the Spirit and power. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I'm going to have recovery of sight to the blinds. For the, for the, for the blinds. Yeah, we're going to open the blinds for the blind. We're going to release prisoners. Captives are going to be set free. The wounded are going to get bound, are going to get healed up. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because He's anointed me. Why? Because He delights in me. Because He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Why? Because He loves me. You can't stop Him from loving me. The devil can't stop Him from loving me. My past can't stop Him from loving me. The future can't stop Him. No angel. Nothing in all creation can possibly separate me from His love. Nobody. Nothing. The Father is greater than all. Nobody can snatch me out of his hand. You get a little Calvinist in there. Y'all don't care about that. You see what I'm saying? A good, big, strong God. He's never letting go. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion by the day of Christ Jesus. We're not going backwards. We're going forwards. We're going forwards. Now, what did I just do right there? We're standing in the truth, not what I feel. And I'm saying it out loud because I need to hear it. Because we serve the God who calls things as though they are, even if they're not yet. So he says, rejoice, O barren woman. Many more will be your children than the one who has plenty. You know, like that's throughout the whole Bible. The family who has no kid gets the promise to have more children in the sands of the seashore. And then they have to walk by faith, even though it hasn't shown up yet, for most of their life. But that's why God counted Abraham as righteous. And that's our birthright. We're those who walk by faith. We are those who walk by faith, not by sight. We are those who walk by faith. So the point of all this is this. The whole point is truth makes free. Jesus' voice is truth. Jesus' voice is truth. His voice speaks the truth that sets us free. Not a bunch of information sets me free. The facts don't set me free. The truth does. The devil can use facts to twist the truth and make us more deceived. Jesus can use made-up stories to tell the truth that sets us free. So what is it that sets free? It's Jesus' voice. In other words, the truth is a person. Are you with me? All right. Thanks for listening. Should I pray one more time? Why don't you all get up and I'll just at least touch you once. I said, get up, I want to at least touch you once. So I bless Rusty in Jesus' name with more, 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 more truth. Renew our minds. More truth. Truth. The voice of Jesus himself. The voice of the good shepherd. More. The voice of Jesus himself. Mine, mine, mine. The voice of Jesus the voice of the good shepherd. Truth, 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 truth. Pure in heart, we'll see God. Truth, more truth in Jesus' name. More truth, more of your voice, more of your voice, more of your voice. You said that that those who hear your voice come alive. You said the time is coming when even the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will live. Truth in Jesus' name. More truth. Increase your voice in Cheryl's life. Increase your voice in Amanda's life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I got you, right, Mary? Yes. In Jesus' name.
Mike, I'm coming back to you quick. It would be incorrect to leave you out. More truth in Jesus' name. The voice of the good shepherd in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.